Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode two of the Triple F Podcast. The boys are back talking about football, farming, and you guessed it, physical therapy. That was last week's banger of the week. Thank you to Brent for that gorgeous segment. Kicking it off this week, we appreciated all the feedback. We want it all. We want it more. But let's go, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about Vega football for a little bit. They're coming up on a pretty big rivalry in the Vega locals. This is called the Oldham County Championship. We're taking on Boys Ranch, baby. We played Olton last week. Now we're playing the 4-2 and two Boys Ranch Rough Riders. Not something the Boys Ranch Rough Riders have been able to say in a long time with a winning record. I'm not going to say anything about their schedule. But, Dane, what is this week going to look like for the boys coming in, coming into town for the boys in blue? Well, Slade, you said you're not going to talk about their schedule, so I am. Their schedule was booty. They're 4-2, and two, and, I mean, those two teams they lost to, one's decent, one is booty. And so I'm really – not all that worried, and I mean, I talked to a few of my insiders around the community, and they said really all they got to do is slow down their quarterback. I mean, he can run a little bit, can pass, I mean, half-ass decent, but for the most part, that's the main key. Got one good lineman, and I mean, with the schedule Vegas played, they've seen everything that's coming to them, and I feel confident, especially with the with the big win Vega got last week against an unbeaten Olton, who played a also booty schedule. And so I feel pretty confident, and I know Vega's going to go out and win this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really prepared. This has been a rivalry that Vega has domin- dominated in recent years. Um, hasn't always been that way. Back when Boys Ranch had some pretty stout athletes, like back in Eric's day, they always had some good athletes. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing the Vega boys going out there and getting another shot at a team that isn't probably quite to the caliber that they played and uh, hopefully going to whoop some ass there this week. Now, speaking of whooping ass... These boys, I don't know if you listeners know how hard these fellows have been working in the fields. These boys, Eric Rohrbeck and Dane Borman, they're our farmers on this podcast. And we also got Chad, our behind-the-scenes guy, working in the field. Shout out to you, Chad. The humidity's right. Keep bailing, baby. But this week, Dane just finished off his corn crop, his first corn crop of the year. Dane, describe the anticipation of harvest after you're slaving away year-round and relying on rain and other elements. And it takes a really a year of hard work just to get to this moment. Describe your anticipation in the field and how does it feel to finally get out there and harvest that crop? Well, I finally slept good for the first time in about eight months last night. So I feel refreshed today. But it's just, it's crazy to me that you spend, you know, six months putting all your work into one crop and then you harvest it in two days. Now, these last two days have been just, absolutely crazy cutting my first crop and going through all the emotions you know with it and it's just crazy but it's nice to have it out of the way and everything for the future is looking up and very excited to get that part out of the way and and just look forward to moving on to next year and and the wheat crop I got in the ground right now what a professional answer Eric you also are a hard-working son of a gun and we know that you're a cotton farmer too so you're in that element too but you, we've all been dealing with a rough year whenever it comes to moisture. And you described to me before this podcast, you had some pretty cool numbers to point out of just how hard it has been for farmers this year. Tell us, Eric, what has this past summer and this past year been for you like as you're just kind of starting your farming journey? Yeah, well, I definitely blame Dane. Uh, his first year farming has been a rough one. 2022 has been one for the one for the books. It's been so we started off this year um, in a horrible drought. We Our last rain 
beginning last year was uh, September 1st. We went all the way until basically middle of June before we really had any actual moisture. Uh, for the year, we're at seven inches uh, of rainfall at our barn. This calendar year, we average 18 the past 15 years. We've had 18 inches of rain uh, each year. So, so averaging 18, we're at seven this year. Last year, we were at about 12. So that's back-to-back years now stacked up of having really dry years. Um, that doesn't make it easy for a dry land farmer, and it doesn't make it easy for our area, especially with the limited irrigation that we have, uh, where we rely on rain so much. Uh, another crazy thing is, is with input costs, what we've seen is it's gotten out of control. So in January of 2021, we bought a load of Roundup for $10 a gallon. Um, this year, the current price right now is around $40. At one point this year, it was up over $70 and you almost couldn't even find it. There was almost no availability. So no matter what service you provide, no matter what product you produce in your line of work, just imagine something that you rely on in your day-to-day work, uh, multiplying by four on its cost. I mean, that definitely makes things much more difficult and, and hard to manage. And then not only like the Roundup's one example, but uh, fertilizer for another example. We were buying fertilizer for $150 a ton, you know, two years ago. When we got to $200 a ton, it was like, man, this is getting high. Well, at one point this year, it was over $700 a ton to get, you know, a ton of fertilizer delivered to your barn. Um, So just imagine all those input prices rising by that much, if you can even find them. So it's been tough. It's been hard. Um, I think everybody's ready for a fresh start. I think we're right in the thick of harvest right now. I think everybody's ready to get this kind of this year behind us and, and move into a new 2023 crop season. Um, but you know what? Hey, this is a positive podcast. We're uplifting around here. We're not going to hang our heads. Uh, you know why? You know why, Dan? Why? Because farmers fight. Damn. That's right. So, hey, we're going to put our heads down. We're going to keep rolling. We're going to do the best with what we've been given. And uh, we have rain chances tonight, even tomorrow. Uh, things are going to turn around. It's going to rain eventually, and we're going to get back on track. I love it. I, I mean, I, I've never heard a more positive group of farmers because really, frankly, there aren't many sometimes. And now for those of you who don't know, me and Brent, we're kind of the disappointments of our fathers in, in, some, in some forms or fashions. Um, we're not exactly the farming type. As you can see, Brent, he's on his way to being the best physical therapist there can be. He definitely would have pulled two out of the game, but we'll get to that later. Me, on the other hand, I'm getting as far away from that farm as I can. So Eric, I have to ask, <clears throat> You just had a new baby girl. Congratulations. And also, you have Weston, your oldest son. Now, if Weston chooses to go down the route that me and Brent did, and he says, heck no to the farm, heck no to this place, I'm getting out of Dodge, does that automatically make Hallie the favorite child? Uh, that's a good question, Slade. He's pretty ate up with it right now. He, uh, he's all about the tractors, and he's all about the cattle. Um, he calls the farm E-I-E-I-O because uh, that's much more easy and makes more sense than just saying the farm. So every day when I get home, about 50 times in a row, he asks me, E-I-E-I-O? E-I-E-I-O? Yes, buddy. I, I came from the farm. So he's pretty fed up with it he, or ate up with it right now. He, he's enjoying it. So we'll, we'll see what happens down the road. Hopefully I can get him out there quite a bit. So That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Well, 
I'm glad to hear that Wesson's, you know, not totally lost if he, if he does leave. It's encouraging for him. I'll tell him later on um, that the choice is up to him and he doesn't have a gun holder to his head. I don't know if anybody ever told Dane that. Um, but luckily, luckily I, I was, had the wherewithal to get out of there and I'm very happy to be with where I'm at. And where I'm at right now is wanting to talk about college football. Now, Brent and Eric, we talked about last week that this is the week that A&M puts it together. This is the week where they start spreading out the ball and they take advantage of a Mississippi State team and they get ahead of the sticks for themselves. And unfortunately, that didn't happen, boys. So how does AM rebound from this and solve this issue despite you know all the hardships that they've gone through? How do we get back on track from here? So I have a few takes on this. Um, part of me wishes that... Jimbo would just kind of, I mean, I, I know that this is not going to happen, but I wish that Jimbo would step down from his, um, his play calling duty. I wish he would say, all right, uh, maybe this isn't working. Maybe someone with a fresh mind, just a fresh start, come in, uh, you know, analyze what we got as far as our roster goes and let's do something different because what we're doing right now is not working. Um, but clearly I just, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, he's not going to step down from play calling. He's always been the play caller for every team he coaches. Um, you know, Eric kind of touched on it last week. He's he is an offensive guru, guru, and he he works with all these quarterbacks. But what people need to understand is that our offense, Jimbo's style of play, is not um, a go out there and score fifty points a game type of offense. He runs a pro style offense. So Jimbo's perfect game in his eyes is. Let's go win the game 14 to three. Let's hold the ball. Let's have the ball time of possession for 45 minutes out of the game. Let's have a stellar defense and let's run the ball down the throat and have over 250 rushing yards. He's not one of those coaches that wants to go out there and score 50 points a game. That's not how he works. That's not his style of play. So part of me is, is upset with everyone getting so annoyed with we're not scoring 50 points a game. That's not the goal for Jimbo. But but as far as the execution, you're right. It's terrible. We're not doing anything. Even when we go out there, we get in the red zone, we either fumble the ball or we go miss an easy touchdown catch by a guy that's supposed to be, you know, a, a stud receiver. And, and we're talking about Evan Stewart there. So I just think that some people have the wrong idea of what we're supposed to be doing, and that's just not Jimbo's style of play. And it's hard because with Jimbo and his success with quarterbacks, he's always had them for three or four years. So he has time to develop them, and that's not how it is in this day of age. It's the transfer portal. And so I just kind of see a problem there where it's not always where you have three or four years to develop a quarterback, and some offenses are fit for that. You know, you look at USC and OU – they can go have a transfer quarterback go there and immediately go out there and throw five touchdowns a game. But when you're quarterback for Jimbo Fisher, you're not going to be doing that. Eric, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I completely agree. I I do wish that Jimbo would step down from the play calling. There's only so many hours in the day and, and we're all trying to be as busy and productive as we can think about, he's got so much on his plate with all the recruiting he's doing, trying to manage all of his staff, trying to manage all of these players. He has so many things that he has to think about. And and the offensive play calling, to me, is is he doesn't have the time and the energy to keep up with where we need to be. Like, college football is moving away from the pro-style offense. Like, it's moving away from what Jimbo wants to do. And he has – it's time now where he has to 
realize that. Take a step back, realize that, and adjust. Like, think about Nick Saban like five years ago, right? Like, he was the exact same way. He was defensive-minded. He wanted to run the football, and he wanted to have time of possession. Look at what he's done in the last five years. They have completely transformed their offense, completely transformed the style of play. They've even transformed their defense. They're bringing in smaller guys on defense, faster guys that can play against the spread. So he made an adjustment, and he's changed, and and then look what he's done because of it. I mean, they had Jalen Hurts. They had Tua. They had Mac Jones. They've had three of the best offenses you can even think of in the last six, seven years statistically. Um, So that's what we're not doing is we're not adjusting, and it is getting frustrating. It's time. I mean, it's – how many times do we have to sit here and watch this? And he keeps saying it's coming. The execution is coming. The thing that really stuck out to me was there's nobody on our team that looks like they're having a good time. <laughs> there's nobody that's having fun. You can feel the pressure. Like like Brent said, our the most talented freshman coming out of high school last year, Evan Stewart, drops a pass that he catches 99 out of 100 times. I don't our, – our All-American center, Bryce Foster – is snapping the ball at our quarterback's feet. You know, we're doing things that we're not even doing the small routine things that are that we know we're capable of doing. It's I think there's so much pressure there. We're so tense. Um, there's that we're so scared to make a mistake that that's all we're doing. We're not playing free and we're not playing smart and we're not playing good football right now. Yeah, I think it's tough, especially a guy like Jimbo. He comes in, you know, he has the reputation behind him. And I feel like that's kind of stopped some much-needed humility in his area. You know, with the Nick statement, like you were just saying, um, the amount of humility to say, I've been the best at what I've done since I've gotten into this coaching spot, but I still am willing to change my philosophies, change the way I think, and change, you know, my brand. And I feel like that's kind of what A&M is missing. What is the brand there? What are they – what's what's their it? You know, they just don't have the it. They have the guys. I feel like they have the coaching staff. They definitely have the tradition of A&M, the reputation of A&M. But what is their it factor? And I don't, I don't feel like they have it right now. And I, I could be wrong. I hope that we see it soon. But right now, there's just no feeling of it there for A&M. Um, unfortunately, Tech also lost some of their it factor this weekend. Not really. I, I really, truly think that people are overreacting, and I think that Kansas State is a much better team than most people are giving them credit for. A great running team, which is something that Tech has historically struggled against in the past. Um, but one guy, the quarterback position, always gets too much credit and too much of the blame. Um, and one guy who's getting a lot of blame on the Texas Tech side right now is Donovan Smith the starting quarterback, Dane. Do you feel like any of this criticism and doubt for Donovan Smith is warranted this early in the season with kind of sort of the lack of experience he's had? I mean, yes and no. You you just said lack of experience, but, I mean, he played a lot last year too, and, I mean, he should have the experience to be a good quarterback if that's what he's capable of, and I think he is. And, I mean, he gives you a great run threat. His his passing decisions just really wear me out. Like, I mean, he makes some some good decisions, but he makes some freaking shitty decisions. I mean, he's just throwing it into triple coverage whenever he's got an easy five-yard slant. I mean, it's just – it's insane what he's doing. But I think a bigger problem right now with Tech is the way they come 
out and start the game. I mean, when they played Texas, they gave up a touchdown the first, like, 31 seconds. And, I mean, yeah, they ended up winning that game, but how do you let that happen two weeks in a row? I don't know how long it took against Kansas State, but it wasn't much longer than that. And it was just – it's just frustrating when you start that game out like that and then it takes the wind out of you. And then, I mean, they should they could have won that Kansas State game. They very well could have. But when you start the game like that, it's hard to get you guys to rally around it, especially two weeks in a row. And then, I mean, if it happens again, then, I mean, they just – they got to be feeling like they're getting the crap kicked out of them right out of the gate and then they're battling back all the way. I just I, – I have no doubts in the way Joey McGuire handles his team. I think he fires them up more than any other coach could. But, I mean, I don't know why we're coming out so flat defensively. I mean, we got to get that part fixed. Yeah, Joey McGuire, I've listened to a couple of his press conferences from this week, and he kind of said the same thing you were you were saying, is he really can't, you know, put a finger on just what one thing is keeping them from, you know, starting the game off strong and playing their brand of football because we've always done a good job this season of kind of battling back in the second and third and fourth quarters. Um, we just haven't been getting it the first quarter, and I'm not sure what that is. Um, I mean, if I, if I knew what it was, I'd, you know, be getting paid a lot of money to be a college quarterback, but unfortunately I'm not. Um, but Joey McGuire, I, I really do have faith that, you know, they'll put it together. I'm hoping that this week proves that sort of stigma wrong so that our team doesn't have to worry about getting it into their heads that they're a slow starting team on the road. Um, but as far as Joey McGuire and his start, already you have the big UT win and a lot of momentum just from the fan base itself. Dane, what do you think it's going to take this season for Joey McGuire to be considered a success in his first year? What accolades does he need? Does it come down to a record or just a feeling at the end of the year? Well, I think you do need you need both. I think that if we make a bowl game, I think that would be I think that would be a success because last year, I mean, with the way we started, we should not have made a bowl game. But you know, we fucked around. We made a sixty-two yard field goal to make a bowl game. I mean, that's not normal. You know, that just happened. And uh, and then the fan base kind of rallied around. Uh, what's his nuts? at Louisiana Tech now, Sonny Cumbie, they, they rallied around him. They rallied around the program and kind of bought in. And then, you know, he left for a head coaching job, which I'm happy for him. But I, I just think that if you make a bowl game and then especially if you win that bowl game, that's going to give you momentum into the next year. And then Joey McGuire did an amazing job as soon as he got hired of already getting the fan base behind him by getting those recruits, getting very uh, involved in the community involved within Texas Tech basketball games immediately. And I think if he just sticks with the brand of West Texas and we're, we're going to do what we're going to do better than anybody else, then then I think people will rally behind him, especially if you have a bowl game win under your belt. Yeah, I agree. Success speaks for itself, especially, I mean, those bowl games, since they've been so rare in the last few years, um, you know, last year's was obviously a big momentum thing for this fan base. And I hope that Joey McGuire gets to that position. They certainly um, seem to feel pretty confident. One other thing I was going to add, you know, with the Donovan Smith experience question and everything else, and everybody's talking about bring Baron in, bring Baron Morton in. He's the, he's the guy everybody's been talking about. But my thing is, is if Baron was up to that standard, he would have been tested in the game a lot longer ago. We'd be having a lot more split snaps. Um, I think a lot of the fan base falls in love you know, with the ideal, the backup, the guy, he's got all the arm talent in the world. Well, they just keep saying, well, Baron's young. Baron, Baron just doesn't have enough snaps under his belt. 
He's the same age as Donovan Smith. He graduated high school the same age. He has had the same amount of years under this coaching staff as Baron Moore or as Donovan Smith has. Um, so I don't think there's any excuses in that area to be blaming the coaching staff and saying um, that Baron Morton should be playing over Donovan Smith. They see them every day, and I, I trust their decision more than anything. But moving off of the Red Raiders, we were talking about success. And nobody in college football has had more success this year than the Georgia Bulldogs. And the Georgia Bulldogs have looked like an absolute juggernaut to start the year. But they went up against a Mizzou team this week that wanted all the smoke. And a team in Mizzou that most people would consider, by Dane standards, pretty booty for the most part. (laughs) But they gave them the smoke this weekend. Georgia had to fight back in the fourth quarter, scoring 14 points to come back and win it. Boys, does this look like a chink in the armor? Brent, when you're watching that game and you're paying attention to watching the Georgia Bulldogs actually have a flash of weakness, does that make you think that maybe they're not the juggernaut that everybody thought they would be? I think it brings them down to earth a little bit. Everyone was hyping them up, and and it was definitely warranted. Um, But I don't think we should all panic. They're still freaking good. Um, obviously, they're still going to be tested it later in the season, especially when it comes to the SEC championship, which I'm assuming it'll be against Alabama. Um, but it, everyone kind of looked down on them at the beginning of the season. You know, they lost so many players to the draft. They came in with just a completely new team, and everyone said, oh, they're not going to be as good as year. And people quickly realized that they reloaded very, very fast. And I think that was just kind of a – that was a big step for – um for Kirby Smart I mean everyone was kind of I think that everyone kind of downplayed him and and uh I guess just didn't really believe that he could reload that quick like Nick Saban usually does at Alabama but he did and they're becoming a force that you don't really want to reckon with and I still think they're up there I still think that they're the best team in the nation um but we'll see I mean they're still gonna have plenty more challenges in the season so I completely agree. Going into this year, I was the first to – I thought Georgia was going to be total hangover season. Um, they've got some dudes all over the field. They are freaking awesome. I, you remember like when it was the Warriors right in the middle of their dynasty when they had KD just joined the team, and it was almost like they were coming off a championship season. It was like, almost like they were bored. And it was like during the regular season, it was just kind of like – you know, like they'd go on like a little losing streak and it'd be kind of like, what's going on? Are the Warriors done? Are the Warriors done? And it's like, uh, I think they're just kind of bored, right? Like I think this is the George, like they're fine. They're awesome. Their big games are coming up. And in case you think uh, Vegas is worried about them, um, Vegas is not worried about them. They are 30-point favorites against Auburn this weekend. 30 points against another SEC team uh so vegas isn't worried i don't think i'd be worried either they're they've got dudes all over well so the sec you can't be worried about them they're just better than anybody else that's that's (laughs) that's how that's how college football is especially if you're a fan of an sec team it it just means more dane it just the sec can do no wrong the sec is now the new sun belt after the appalachian state loss <laughs> I want to. I want you to weigh in on this real quick because I'm curious. Um, obviously, all the Jimbo Saban feud in the off season when A and M takes over the top recruiting class. This date has been circled for a lot of fans, college football fans, uh, for a long time, and it really hasn't 
uh, panned out the way we thought it was going to be. We thought this would be two undefeated teams coming together and battling it out. Um, to both QBs are hurt right now. We don't know the status of either. Both are day-to-day. Uh, Slade, I'd love to uh, – 24 points is the line right now. Bama 24. Slade, I'd love to get a pick from you and your take on um, how this weekend could look. Well, I think with the hype of this game and really with the unexpected struggles of AM, I think that Vegas for once is overstating the, the worry. And I think that this becomes a game. I really do. I don't, I don't think AM wins it. I'm going to be honest. But I think that they definitely cover – that's a big spread to ask. I mean, even for the Bamas. It doesn't matter. With a game this hyped up, you rarely see big blowouts like that. It's like, it's like the Red River rivalry. Since y'all are talking about SEC, I'm throwing in Big 12. Screw y'all. Anyways, whenever you talk about the Red River rivalry, it's always a close game no matter where the teams are at. You know, OU has been much better than UT, but that game is always so interesting. So I think that's kind of the same thing that's going to happen. I'll take AM to cover, but I'll take Bama to beat. Brent, give it to us. I like your take on that. Uh, before I get to the AM game, just a quick little fun fact. The Big 12 has four games going on this weekend, and all of them feature a ranked team except the Red River rivalry. Can you believe that? How weird is that to think? Both Texas and OU are not ranked this week, and they're playing each other. That has never happened. Dane, what do you have to say about that? I saw that like this is the first time since like 1998 or something that A&M – or not A&M, Oklahoma and Texas have played each other, and neither one – have been ranked. I mean, it just feels like this is going to be the best game ever between the two because there is zero hype around them. Uh, I love that people were talking about early in the week, which game are you watching, the iconic Red River rivalry between OU or UT or the Kansas game? I mean, (laughs) which one one would you rather watch at this point? I, I, for one – I still would like to tune in to the Red River rivalry because, like Dane said, I still think it's going to be a pretty pretty unique and pretty interesting game with the lack of hype around it. Um, but it, it really does bring joy and warmth to my heart to see both OU and UT just burning to the ground in some form or fashion as they decide to leave for the SEC. You know what I say to that? Burn, bitches, burn. I love it. <laughs> but on, on that topic – Guys, I, I can't waste any more time talking about those low lowlifes down at OU or UT. It's time to talk about the GOAT. And whenever I mean the GOAT, we all know who I'm talking about. It's Cooper freaking Rush, baby. Cooper Rush is the GOAT. And at this point, I mean, how could he not be in the MVP favorites? He's the best. He's the best of all time. Um, Eric, so you're a huge Cowboys fan, and we talked about this last week. But it brings up even more to question now with his success from last week. If the Cowboys decide to throw Dak back into the fire as soon as he comes back and is fully healthy, will y'all absolutely wreak havoc on that Cowboys organization if Cooper Rush is not still the man? Hey, so another week, another win for Cooper Rush, right? That's what the guy does. But – I, I think what this does is this gives you time to say, okay, Dak, don't rush back. Let's not make any decisions. Let's not make any rash decisions. Let's say, Dak, get 100% healthy. Let's learn a little bit from this. You know, I think there's a lot to take away from – we kind of talked about this last week about the boring 
uh, slant, the boring five yard out, the boring 10 yard stop route. Um, and that's what Cooper Rush is doing right now. You know, this is kind of the way that the Cowboys need to play. It's great defense. If you're paying attention to the pass rush right now, it is fantastic defense. And then the offense, we're running the ball more, and we're not – Cooper Rush isn't trying to do anything that he's – anything extraordinary. He's just trying to do the make the right play at the right time. He's getting the ball out fast. And Dak can learn from this. I mean, Dak needs to just take that away – just take that away from him and just say, okay, like I can I can make the quick pass. I can make the, the good, the easy play. Just take what the defense gives you. And I think he will when he comes back. I, it's Dak's job. We all know he's, we're locked into that contract. But um, but I do think when he comes back, he ought to take take a little uh, few notes from old Cooper Rush. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, so I agree. I think that you know, as much as we want there to be a QB com- uh, controversy, when Dak is healthy, which it's looking like it'll be next week when he comes back, uh, he he's going to get the starting job back. There's there's no question about it, and. It's sad because if you're Cooper Rush, there's nothing more you could have done. You did everything you could do. You won the games, and it sucks, but you're the backup quarterback, and that's just part of it. Uh, there's nothing he can really do to win that job over, and that's that sucks for Cooper Rush, but that's just the way it is. But what I am interested to see is what happens when Dak comes back because there's going to be a lot of pressure on Dak. The first interception he throws, people are going to start chanting for Cooper Rush. They're going to start booing him. The first time that if he loses the first game he comes back, all hell is going to break loose with the Cowboys fan base. Um, so it's just going to be kind of interesting to see how Dak handles all the pressure because as soon as he comes back, he is on the hot seat already. And everyone, all the fans are going to be wanting Cooper Rush. For my, I mean, Obviously, I want the Cowboys to win, and I just think it's going to be kind of scary if, if that first game that Dak is back, they lose. It's going to be kind of scary, and it's already uh, Jerry Jones's fault for making this uh, dramatic. He's he's tried to market this into a QB controversy, which is the last thing you want to do as the owner of that uh, organization. So bad, bad, bad thing, uh, bad handling of the situation by Jerry Jones, but uh, Dak will be back, and he'll be the starter, and... That's just the way it's going to be. Dane, what do you have to say? When has Jerry Jones made a good decision on anything? You know, I mean, he's just – he's a geriatric piece of crap. I mean, I don't think there's a single Cowboys fan out there that is a fan of Jerry Jones. I, I don't know. That guy just freaking drives me crazy. But I, I feel like Cooper Rush is like the Dallas Cowboys' Jimmy G. You know, Jimmy G, he's so boring. But the dude wins games. I mean, that's exactly how Cooper Rush is. I mean, you can't have a whole lot of bad to say about him. And the 49ers fans, you know, they were pushing for Trey Lance and and the organization, you know, put a lot of trust into him. They kind of sold out on him. And so they had to make a decision. And they got so dang lucky that they kept Jimmy G for now. I mean, it's unfortunate that Trey Lance got hurt and they had to go back to Jimmy G. But the guy wins games. That's the same way that Cooper Rush is. And, I mean, I just – I feel like that Cooper Rush is just not ever going to get the respect that he deserves, even though he's so boring. I mean, the guy just does what he needs to do. Well, you know, we talk about he may not get the respect he deserves. He deserves a spot, um, you know, playing on the field because he's winning games. But at the same time, you know what he's going to get that he deserves? Money. Because he just earned himself as a longtime starter for a while. 
We've seen a guy like Chase Daniels be the richest backup, and what has he done in the NFL to win all this money? He's known as the greatest bank robber ever to live because he is stealing money sitting on the sidelines. Cooper Rush just earned some money. It may not always be with the Cowboys, but if some of those desperate teams need that fringe quarterback to back up their young guy or to back up maybe a so-so quarterback they just traded for, Cooper Rush is going to earn some money, and he just earned a lot of respect around the league, and he's definitely earned a reliable reputation. Now, on the other side, there's another guy out there who doesn't necessarily have a reliable reputation. But let me tell you, after this summer, he has a reputation, and it's the next GOAT on our list. It's Zauk Milfson, baby. The legend was back. And he went out and kicked the shit out of the Steelers. Dane, what did it feel like to see your guy back on the field and just absolutely annihilating that booty Steelers defense? Well, I definitely didn't think that uh, his first touchdown of the season was going to be a receiving touchdown. That was just awesome. And, uh, I mean, they had another another great win. I, I was kind of surprised by it. I mean, the Steelers are booty. And, I mean, Mitch Trubisky's, I mean, awful. And, I mean, it was so good to see them get a win. But uh, I got something to say about Zach Milfson. And, I mean, everybody kind of knows it. I mean, what he did this offseason was incredible. You know, from a man's perspective, respectable. I mean, you just you don't get you don't get that kind of quarterback on every team. I mean, I love Cooper Rush. We give him a lot of love. But, you know, that guy ain't going to go out and, you know, get with one of his mom's friends. I mean, we just all know that ain't going to happen. And the only thing that's going to really solidify Zach Milson as being the GOAT is going to be when he goes after Giselle as soon as the divorce is final. And we all know it's going to happen. You know why? Because he plays for... The goddamn Jets. That's right, baby. The gosh damn Jets. Uh, I, th- I feel like we have to at least touch base on the whole Tom Brady situation. So the, I, I hate I literally like, said, fuck them kids. <laughs> Tom Brady, you can you can truly now say he is married to the game. He said, Giselle, you can take the kids. You can leave. I love football so much. This just showed Tom Brady's passion for the game of football. He retired. And he just walks in about two weeks later, he walks into the kitchen and, you know, they're supposed to be having this fun summer of hanging out with, you know, actually having family time and being with his kids and his wife. And he literally walks into the kitchen and says, Giselle, I I think I'm going to go back and play football. And she gives him an ultimatum and he literally chose football. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, you hate to see this. Um, You know, he's a good guy. He's a good family man. And he loves his kids. He loves his kids so much that he'll even kiss them on the lips. But well, uh, the is why he went back to football is his son is too old to kiss him back. <laughs> I hate this for Tom Brady, but man, this whole situation is bizarre. Uh, so Chad had a good question. He said, "Who who are they going to remarry? So who are y'all's votes on them? Who's Giselle going to remarry, and who's Tom Brady going to marry?" Giselle's going to remarry Zach Milson. We all we all know that. Tom Brady, I don't know about that one. He's probably going to go after, I don't know, maybe Kim Kardashian just to spice things up a little bit. (laughs) I'm going to come up with a sleeper pick. This is a sleeper pick. So I think Tom Brady enjoys, 
you know, the single life for a minute. You know, he's focused on football, but he's going to get lonely at nights. So I think he's going to enjoy being the stallion and being the goat of football for a little while, but then he's going to come back to earth and he's going to need that solid female presence in his life. Somebody who supports his love for football instead of taking away from it. It's Aaron Andrews. The answer is obvious. It's right there for you. Give him Aaron Andrews, Giselle, get lost, go find Antonio Brown or Zach Milson. But Tom Brady is nailing Aaron Andrews. It's going to happen. But that's, I could not think of a better answer. That's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Andrews, also the goat in her own right. So, yeah, two goats, two goats in a pasture. Could, yeah. Um, Those would be some beautiful children. Oh, oh shit. man. That yeah. would probably still leave to keep playing football. So, hey, yeah. does this say that Tom Brady's going to play football for more than this season? Absolutely. I mean, this kind of says, doesn't this kind of say he might be there for a couple more years? It, it, it's what it says to me. I think you could be right. That's a good take right there. That's a great take. And I'm, it, it very well could mean that because with – you know, the way it has been, that has always been his only cop-out of getting out of football is his family and his wife. Now, this doesn't mean his kids are abandoning, abandoning him unless they're tired of getting kissed on the lips. But it, it, very well, it very well could mean that we get another couple years of Tom Brady. But at this point, I just don't understand the type of person you have to be to be that motivated to keep going despite having nothing, nothing left to prove or achieve besides getting another Super Bowl, um, which there's a lot of good teams out there to compete with. I don't know if the Bucks will do that. That's a topic for, the, for another day. But to right now, I have to give credit to our guy, Brent. We talked about last week. We went through a whole injury report, and Brent said that letting Tua back on the field was a horrible mistake because that dude has CTE. And unfortunately, we had to watch Tua go down in a pretty terrifying way. I don't want to poke fun because it really is a serious subject when you're dealing with head or neck injuries. Um, but unfortunately, Tua did go through a concussion, and now the reports are already starting to come in about mishandlings and firing the people that checked him over. Brent, how do the Dolphins survive this nightmare? How do you think that they can even protect themselves? Like you said, I'm sure their malpractice insurance is through the roof. But if you're one of those trainers and if you're on that staff, what? how do you even save this? Well, you're right. It's a total disaster. So, uh, so yeah, they fired. So the, the players, like the NFL Players uh, Association, they, like, got together and they were able to fire that that doctor that looked him over, but he was not the team doctor. It was just like an independent neurologist who analyzed him and cleared him to go, um, cleared him to like through that protocol. And so as far as the, the dolphins organization, like the team doctor wasn't fired. None of the trainers were fired. And I don't know, I don't know how they're getting through this. I mean, they immediately, obviously everyone was under fire when he even began to play um, Thursday night. And then that happened, and it's just a terrible look. And of course, everyone's getting grilled. Everyone's everyone's questioning coach uh, head coach McDaniel's. And I don't know how you handle this situation. I don't know how. Like, I'm surprised that not every single one of those people got fired, but they didn't. They made it through. Um, 
it kind of just looked like that independent neurologist that got fired. They just put all the heat on him. They just put all the blame on him. And sucks for that guy. Like, I don't know what his name is. It, like, I, I tried to find his name. I'm sure you could somewhere, but they're not releasing his name. Like, thank goodness, because he would probably, I don't know, bad things. But um, just a scary situation. Obviously, prayers up for two and his family. But I I just can't believe this. They're already just waiting for him to get back on the field. If I'm Tua right now, I'm taking a look at my life and a step back and saying, is this worth it? But they're literally like trying to get him cleared through protocol within the next couple of weeks to go out there and play. And that just amazes me. After getting two concussions in like a five-day span, like what are you doing? Why do you want to keep doing this? This is terrible. And although he's not facing any, you know, like long-term uh, impairments right now, like this is going to affect him later in life. There's no question about it. And I'm sure he understands that risk. And he's, I mean, obviously if he's trying to get out there and go and play, it's his decision, but I just cannot believe that he literally like got cleared from the hospital that night and they flew him back, which is great. All the scans came back clear and that's, that's wonderful. Um, but you just still got literally two concussions in a five day span and you're already trying to get back on the field. It's just crazy to me. Dane, what do you have to say? So, like, I am not a doctor, even though I'm real close to it. Like, I kind of like from the naked eye, I can tell that two concussions in five days is not good. I don't know how bad it is, but I know it's not good. But, like, the night that you get a concussion, if you fly home with the team and you just go from one elevation to the next immediately, could that not mess with you? Like, does that not concern you also and one thing that i'll even add to that was the story that i heard he's on the flight on the airplane watching a movie with the head coach they're sitting together watching a movie aren't you i'm the same way as dane i'm asking here i kind of think aren't you supposed to kind of be in a dark quiet room and then all of a sudden he's he's elevation change on a plane and then he's watching a screen uh yeah what i mean can't that all be a a terrible recipe for uh, recovery. I agree. I was always, and I don't know all the the big, you know, no nos of getting concussion. But you're right. I was always told or or, or heard about people, uh, you know, being in a dark room. They can't really go to sleep. It's not good for them to go to sleep. Um, so you're right. I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to be doing there either. But it's just insane to me. I mean, I'm glad he got cleared that night. It was so great. You know, there was su- such good news. Like when they came back and said, oh, he's at the hospital. He has movement of all four extremities. That's wonderful. But then it was like they just decided, oh, all the scans came back clear. He's good. It was just a concussion. Let's get him out on the field in two weeks. It's just that's bizarre to me. I don't know. I don't know how you handle that because obviously – if Tua didn't want to go back out there, he could say, no, I'm done. But he's not saying that. So more power to him. It's his decision. Um, just bizarre situation right there. And like you said at the end there, you know, he has the power to say that he's not comfortable with it and isn't saying that. And that's because football is a tough guy sport. Um, everybody in the locker room want to be, wants to be praised for their tough guys. Matt Stafford did it whenever he was in Detroit, had some, had some bad injuries. Um, but everybody wants to be tough guy. And one of the guys in the media right now trying to be tough guy, who I heard, and I don't mean to knock him because I love him to death, but Joe Burrow was coming out and talking about in press conferences how he's gotten multiple concussions that he's played through and he's blacked out in games. 
And I'm just sitting there going, all right, big dick Joe, this one's not about you. Go ahead and sit back for a little while. But despite that, I think it's true, Brent. I think the tough guy thing comes into play. And I think that Mike McDaniels doesn't necessarily deserve all of the criticism um, for this decision because as a head coach, the best ones trust their staff. And so they're going to trust the medical guys with that. And they're going to trust their players, and they're going to believe in the guys that say they're ready to play and they're ready to go. Um, So I don't think McDaniels deserves a lot of credit for that. But it is unfortunate. It's a scary injury to see. Again, we're glad he's better. Um, But we're thankful that we have a physical therapy guy on staff to give us that insight and to be able to tell us that that dude has CTE and he should have been playing anyways. If Brent would have been on that staff, it wouldn't have happened. But luckily, we're a bunch of smart guys, and we know where to put our information. And a lot of times, we put our information in really good bets. And so, bringing to you this week, once again, we have our segment. It's called Bet the Farm, baby, because we have three guys who love to give it 100% the lockdown picks of the week. These are the picks that you're going to take all your money from your entire farm. And you're going to bet it all on this single pick because it's guaranteed to hit. And now if it doesn't hit, don't tell anybody that Triple F Podcast told you to do it because that was a silly thing to do anyways. But bet the farm, baby. Dane, take it away. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I said last week that I was about 90%, maybe 89 on a good day, on a bad day. And, uh, I mean, I just proved everybody like everybody wrong. I proved myself right. I was the only one on this podcast to hit the lock of the week. Brent, Eric, I'm sorry. Like, I hate to talk shit on y'all right now, but, I mean, I'm just – I'm the Zach Milson of sports gambling, you know? I'm just the best there ever is. And last week I took the Eagles over, and it hit pretty daggum easy. And so this week I'm going with the team I bet against last week, and I'm taking Kansas plus six and a half. With game day there, you know, first, I don't know how long it's been since game day's been there in football. I, I couldn't even imagine how long it's been. Freaking give me Kansas. I'm bought in. They're they're about to be 6-0. and Like, fuck them. They're about to be badass. Let's go. Dane, I like that pick. I, it's funny because everyone is like, okay, this is the week that Kansas loses. This is the week that Kansas loses. And they keep freaking winning. It's pretty cool. Game day is going to be there. That's going to be a cool weekend for them. Like, I'm happy for them. Uh, they finally got ranked. Um, they, you know, they deserve this, and I hope it's a fun week. And I hope that your your Jayhawks um, they they come through. My lock of the week is going to be the Cowboys. I know it's never smart to bet on the Cowboys, but um, I love this pick. They are last I looked, it was like uh, Cowboys plus four and a half, but I think it moved to five and a half today, and that just makes this pick even better. So they're playing the Rams this week. So just a little recap, the Rams lost last week against the 49ers. They did not look good. Um, you know, the game this week is in Los Angeles. You know Sean McVay is going to, you know, have them coming out. And this looks like everything's pointing in the direction of this is a rebound game for the Rams. You know, they looked terrible last week. But Sean McVay is a damn good coach. He's going to have the Rams ready. But I'm saying I'm going with Cooper Rush. Um Last week, the 49ers sacked Matt Stafford seven times and hit him another 11 times during the game. So you think of what you think about what Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence are going to go do this week. They are going to dominate that Cowboys defense. 
is going to hit him where it hurts. And I have the Cowboys plus five and a half against the Rams this week. That's my lock of the week. I love it. I love it. I love both those picks. So I've bet against Kansas the last two weeks. And if you can't beat them, join them. So I'm with Dan on this side. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this one too, but I'm, I'm, I like Kansas. I think that's a great pick. I love the Cowboys. Everybody on the Rams are broken. They are a beat-up team. Their offensive line is horrible. They are a terrible offensive line. I think I heard a stat this morning. There's only going to be one offensive lineman for the Rams that starts this week against the Cowboys that played in the Super Bowl. One out of the five. Uh, so they are beat up. They are hurt. I do like the Cowboys to cover. I don't know if they win it outright, but I do like them to cover. Um, so anybody that gambles, especially in the NFL, you know that the value is when you get a team and points. Your your value is with the dogs. Well, I'm going to do something I don't usually do, and I'm going to bet a big spread in the NFL. I think that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – Totally got embarrassed on Sunday night against Patrick Mahomes. They got worked in every phase of the game. I think he's got all of his weapons back, and I think at the end of that game you saw it start to click. I think that the Bucks get it rolling, and I think it's a noon game. It's not a primetime game. Nobody's going to be watching it. You're going to look up on your TV, and all of a sudden you're going to see that the Bucks are back. Tom Brady's going to throw for four touchdown passes. They're going to roll the Falcons. It's Bucks. Minus nine and a half, it's a huge spread. It's a huge spread. If it was 11, I don't think I like it as much. But the nine and a half, then you're going to look up. I think they're going to roll the Falcons. You're not even going to know it because it's not going to be on a primetime game. I love Tom Brady this weekend. He's finally got his receivers. They play well. The Bucks roll past the Falcons. You know, I, I kind of like that bet. But, uh, but also, did you know that the Falcons are the only team in the NFL that is undefeated against the spread? Like they they are four zero against the spread, and you're I mean that's a spicy pick. I like it, but it's spicy. That's almost the reason I like it even more. Because <laughs> all, all streaks got to die. All streaks got to die. It's almost the reason I I did know that four zero against the spread Falcons. I love it. I love it, and I I love that stat bringing in Dane the the against the spread. That's something that Dane is real big into. He goes into the analytics. Um, if you met him in person, you wouldn't think he's a big analytics guy, but he goes into it whenever it comes to the betting. That's why you can trust Triple F Podcasting to bet the farm on these segments. Now you all know that I'm I'm not a betting man. I I don't have that much money to throw around in order to trust myself with my betting. So once again, I'm just going to give you the games of the week. These are the, these are the games that you take time out of your weekend to crack a beer, sit down, and watch these games. And this one has already been mentioned a couple times in this segment. It's the TCU-Kansas game. How could you not be excited to watch an undefeated Kansas right now? You will never see this hype again, probably for another generation. Who knows? Kansas has been booty for forever. They're the basketball juggernaut, but they are the football booty. That's for sure. But not anymore. This is the year of Kansas and also the year of TCU. Number 17 and number 19 going at it. Both undefeated. It's going to be at your 11 o'clock slate. I'm excited to watch that game, and I think you should watch it too. And for the NFL, let's take it to the Bengals and the Ravens playing in Sunday night football. This spread is set at three for Baltimore. And I think it's going to be a great game because I don't think Baltimore is getting any publicity to where everybody's appreciating how good Lamar is playing and the level he's playing at right now. 
I think his flashiness and his athletic ability is going to come out to play in this game against a very well-playing, at this point, Bengals team. They've kind of picked it together these last few weeks. They've gotten, they've gotten themselves back in their rhythm. The Bengals are playing well. The Ravens are very hit or miss, and I think that they're going to hit with the lights on them in Sunday night football. I just don't see how this game doesn't come into a shootout and just be a flashy, fun, entertaining game. Take some time out of your Sunday night, crack a beer before that Monday morning work shift, and enjoy this game while you can. So ladies and gentlemen, that is our Bet the Farm segment for the Triple F Podcast. Now we have one more final iconic segment coming up. You all know it, and you know it well. It's our Banger of the Week. And so with that, I'll give it to Brent. Brent, take it away. Thank you, Slade. So again, what we do is we end out the episode with the banger of the week. This is just supposed to be, uh, think of it as just kind of like the song of the week. It's going to be putting you in a good mood. Um, it's officially on Spotify. My playlist, it'll be called Triple F Bangers of the Week. So go search that up on Spotify. Follow that playlist. Uh, each song um, will be added to that playlist weekly, and you can just find that there on Spotify. That's FFF Bangers of the Week. So this week we have a, it's called Orange Blossoms by JJ Gray and Mofro. It's an absolute banger. We're going to play it um, and uh, just hope you have a good rest of your week. Thank you for listening. May all your fantasy football teams win and all your parlays hit. And uh, we will see you next week.